the American Battlefield Trust asks for your help in saving 42 acres of land at the Stones River Battlefield in Tennessee. This is one of the costliest battles of the Civil War, and you can help by donating to the American Battlefield Trust. For every dollar that you donate to this effort, it will be matched by $33.94. This can be done, and we can help save this battlefield from development. Please log on to battlefields.org and lend your hand. What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. My name is John. I am the Tattooed Historian. And you know, I've been mixing things up here a little bit lately. I've been doing a couple episodes where it's me talking about events that I've been doing or talking about uh, the humanities. And it mixes it up for you so it's not interviews all the time, even though I love to have people on to interview. Uh, Sometimes schedules conflict and I have to put it off for a little while. And, uh, you know, I just couldn't get around to getting one scheduled uh, that fits my schedule for this week. So what I wanted to do is just come on here and talk to you about my experience with uh, the digital humanities class at George Mason University. Some of you may remember that I had Stephanie Seal Walters on my podcast. She was on the uh, original live stream, as, as I call it, from the Black Hoof in Leesburg, Virginia. And she was also at the Tattoo Historian Presents a few months ago talking about women loyalists during the Revolution. Well, Stephanie was an adjunct professor at uh, George Mason University, and she asked me to come in on their last day and talk to the students about digital humanities, digital history, about what I do. And I was really happy to do that because I love mentorship and I love outreach, and I love hearing what uh, an audience has to say about what I'm doing and questions they have about that whole thing. And I didn't know what I was going to get into. You know, you, you'd never do. It's kind of like a blind date where you just don't know what you're going to get into. Uh, you don't know uh, how it's going to be perceived as far as what you do. So I walk in there and uh, it was immediate, uh, me introducing myself for about 10 minutes and what I do. And then we went straight into Q&A. And this is what I really enjoyed about the experience. Instead of me bloviating in front of everyone about what I do and how I do it, I wanted to hear people's reactions to the project as a whole. What made it great was the fact that Stephanie had assigned the class to listen to one of my podcasts. Whichever one they wanted to listen to, they could listen to it and get some background on me, but also podcasting and and talk about how digital humanities can fit into the podcasting narrative. And so they were ready with some questions. And when I mean some questions, I mean like 90 minutes worth of questions. I I got there about an hour early because I had to go through Beltway traffic, so I left a lot of time. And uh, when I got there, they had to go over a couple things uh, in the class, and then it was my turn, and I got to start out like a half hour earlier than what I was supposed to which was great because that allowed me an extra half hour of Q&A and uh, back and forth discussion about certain things and certain topics. And it really just took off from there. So we talked about 
a lot of different things in digital humanities. We talked about the hardware I use, uh, software programs that I utilize, and we got down into the weeds about why I do what I do. And for those of you who have listened to my one-year podcast, or you listened way back at episode zero, you know why I do what I do, and you know the direction I'm trying to go with it. And so I just uh, brought that back up and brought in new ways. And because you can feel the audience better in the room and you can see which direction they want to take it. And uh, it was it was a great time. What, uh, what I got out of it was that, A, a lot of students are into digital humanities and into digital history. It's easy access. It's easy to come by. Uh, you can you can pull it up. You can interact with it. You can pull up a map and interact with a map. You can pull up a podcast and listen to that. And it's just right there. It's efficient. It's the way we think now, right? We think about things quickly, and we want we want the answer now. We talk to Alexa or or Siri to get whatever answer we want from from them uh, instead of even googling things now we just have to do it through voice and ask uh some piece of hardware with a software component hey what's the capital of ecuador and it'll come back we're used to that now and everything is going so hardcore digital i also learned that i didn't have this in college throughout my university years we didn't have like digital humanities uh we we had like you know some some topic that was like internet-based research methods and it's like well we've had the internet for how long we should be moving on from that and i think that that comes uh with the territory in the history field and other fields as well where we are just on the cusp of something great in the field where people are trying to push it forward and certain universities are really taking the bull by the horns and you know running to the finish line with it and some universities maybe due to funding or it doesn't fit into their mission statement they are not utilizing digital humanities the way it should be utilized as i said i didn't have it i had to learn basically you know on the ground and that's why when they were going over some of the topics i didn't know what they were talking about because uh i didn't learn it that way i might have known what they were talking about as far as the way i know it but they were using the technical terms and i had no idea what some of it was and so that really allowed us to talk back and forth as well because they had learned it from a technical standpoint as far as vocabulary. I learned it as a technical standpoint from doing it and trying to teach myself how to do it. And so you could see that little uh, bit of a break between the two of us, between me and the class. But yet we could bring it back together and say, well, I've, I've done this on the ground with no training you guys are going to be far superior than me at some point doing this because you guys have the training here in a classroom. And even though it wasn't a high-level class as far as number-wise, uh, you know, on your on your stat sheet, it's not a graduate-level, you know, major class. It was a class that had a lot to offer. And I wish more universities would open themselves up to be able to do that. I thought the same thing a few years ago when I decided to sit down for fun, yes, for fun, and write a college class based on historical interpretation. I had nothing to do. I think I had like a four-day weekend or something like that. 
and I had always dreamed about teaching in the classroom. I always dreamed of being an adjunct or or whatever, just to give me something to do. You know, um, I never considered like tenure track position because I never uh, will receive my PhD. But I thought, hey, I have a master's degree, maybe I can break into the system by teaching a class that no one else teaches. So I sat down one weekend and I decided I was going to write uh, an entire, I think it was a 12-week class on historical interpretation. And it was pulling all kinds of things that, that I think historical interpretation needs. You know, you need your, you need to understand how to research properly. You need to understand how to write and communicate properly. But you also need to understand a little bit of acting. And I had actually thrown in uh, two weeks with uh, someone who was from like the acting department uh, or the arts department who dealt with acting into the curriculum. That way they could learn on the spot, off the cuff training in acting. And uh, it was just something that was radical and different. And I remember I sent it to a university which will go unnamed and they basically laughed me out of the room and said, no one's going to take this course. Uh, so that was a, a great way for me to try to break into the system. But I can see this also with digital humanities. And I think uh, a lot of schools need to pick up on this. And I would love to see more curricula come out involving digital humanities because look at how we are uh, showcasing history now and how different it was or is than it was 15 years ago, than it was 20 years ago. How this whole production takes place is just phenomenal. I remember uh, a friend of mine had a podcast 10 years ago, and he would walk into their house, and there would be just soundboards everywhere and all this equipment, and I was like, wow, this is like a radio studio in here. Now I'm running this podcast off of a small recorder, and then uploading it into my laptop, and then putting it up live. Things change, things progress, and and the field needs to progress with it. Uh, I know that there will always be nostalgia. I know that there will always be tradition. Uh, But I think that it's either do or die now. We have to get into the digital humanities realm and mass, or this field is going to be left behind. And I was listening to all the questions from the students in uh, in Stephanie's class, and it really struck that home to me that there was only one student in there, just one, who was a history major. All the rest had different majors, and we talked about uh, utilizing digital humanities in, in, in their work as well if they chose to do so, but it was really cool to hear it from outsiders' points of view, right? I was hearing it from people who don't listen to my podcast on a regular basis because they're not maybe into history uh, or have a curiosity about history. I'm, I'm talking to people who have a curiosity about something else, but we can come together on a parallel course and say this is a very important way forward for uh, possibly even society, bringing things to life more digitally because we're on uh, not only Facebook anymore, but we're on Instagram, because we're on Snapchat, because we're on Twitter, Things are brought to life quicker, and uh, historians make or break it now sometimes online because you say the wrong thing that's, you know, uh, going to ruin your reputation, then that, that, that breaks you right there, and digital history comes to, to bite you. But I think it's such a powerful tool, and, and it, I can't overstate that fact 
that we need to utilize the newest tools for this. And I'm, I'm seriously considering sitting down and writing my own version of a digital history class. Since I did the historical interpretation class, and I, I still have those notes around here somewhere, I think uh, I was younger, and I think that when it was denied, I, I kind of got upset with myself, like, you know, you're wasting your time. Why are you doing that? I have a different mindset now. Um, I have a mindset of I'll keep it to the side, and when the time's right, it's going to happen. So I might rewrite that entire class and then write uh, a digital history class because I, I'm really into the idea of adding my own voice to the curricula in some way. Even if someone just takes a class from my proposed uh, outline and says, I'm going to put this in my class, I think that'd be a pretty cool legacy to have to, to know that you possibly influence the next round of students. And who knows, maybe at some point I'll adjunct at a place that will allow me to teach uh, historical interpretation or digital history uh, under the guise of digital humanities, maybe. And we can use all these new methods and we can bring this to life and we can allow people to understand how to utilize their own skill sets for their advantage career-wise. And as I was sitting in George Mason and we were talking and discussing everything and I was learning things from the audience about themselves, I was taking all these notes in my head. Uh, I didn't take a notebook with me or anything like that. I took a cup of coffee and I sat there and I talked to the students for 90 minutes because I wanted to talk with them and I wanted to be a part of the conversation. And I wanted, I'm glad that Stephanie made it heavy Q&A because I wanted to hear from the students about what they thought about the podcast they had to listen to, but more importantly, what they thought about digital humanities and society and how my particular way of doing it may fit into a narrative but their particular way of doing it is something different. Uh, as I say, we all learn and teach in our own way, just like a fingerprint, we're all different. And I'm really appreciative for the time that these students took to just throw these questions at me. And uh, I don't think any of them wrote any questions down. I think it was just all natural. And that, that's what really made it cool, was it was an authentic experience. They were getting to see someone that they had heard only their voice on uh, iTunes or on Spotify and ask them uh, their opinion on digital humanities. I, I wish I would have had that experience when I was going through college, uh, where, where someone who I had listened to or seen on YouTube or, or whatever would have come to my class and we could have discussed... Uh, that way of teaching history or that way of communicating history. I think that's, that's invaluable to the, to the entire narrative. So again, I want to, I want to thank Stephanie Seal Walters for, for having me at George Mason. Uh, if any of the students who had to listen to one podcast of mine are listening to this one, I want to thank you because you made the 90 minutes go extremely fast because all we did was talk the entire time about digital humanities and digital history there was no silence in that room. It was it was constant, and and it, that's what makes it work when we can work together to try to understand uh, where we come from, as far as uh, our ideas and our thoughts and our beliefs. That's how we progress forward. And I am currently reaching out to other uh, colleges, universities, and schools 
to come in and either do A, educational programming, or B, as, in, uh, as far as colleges and universities is concerned, I would love to come in and mentor and uh, give back in that way. So any of you listeners out there who, who you know, you work at a, uh, you know, a secondary school, you work, at a, you work at a high school, you work at a middle school, you work at uh, uh, a university or college, and you think the history department or the history club or the social studies students would love to uh, talk to me, we can work something out. And uh, I would love to be there, and I would love to do that for the students. I love being in the classroom. I love giving back. That's how I see it when I walk into a classroom. I'm, I'm giving back. I'm uh, maybe having one student in there think, wow, I can do something like that, and I never realized it. That's an amazing thing for me, and that's something very special for me and something that I always cherish. I cherish my times in the classroom. It's, it's, a, it's a holy place for me to be in a classroom, to be up front, and to be talking with students, not at them, but with them. And that digital humanities class piqued my interest again to pursue uh, one facet of the, the business as an in-class educational or mentorship program. And uh, that, that's something that I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing. And I'm going to work on that this the second half of this year. Um, but, but I think that coming together in that environment and sharing ideas and, and, you know, drawing up inspiration from that is so important to understand that there's so much more out there you can do. Uh, it doesn't have to be what your parents did. It doesn't have to be what your parents told you to do. Uh, you can break out of that mold and do your own thing. And I think some students needed to hear that. Uh, and I think more need to hear that. And I, and I would love to talk to them about that. It's like I told them I was in my mid-30s, so I realized what I wanted to do in life. So you don't have to be like right to rock and roll at 19. Uh, sometimes you just have to uh, go with the flow for a decade until you figure it out. And uh, luckily here I am figuring it out uh, along with you all listening in. And it's been a tremendous thing for me to do. But again, that, that digital humanities class was awesome. I wish I would have had the similar uh, class in my college experience, but it was a little earlier. Uh, that was six years ago. So uh, we weren't there yet, but we were slowly getting in that direction. And I'm, I'm really excited to see what the next generation of historians and, and uh, people involved in public history and education will bring to the table when it comes to digitization and digital humanities and digital history. I think that, that the world is their oyster when it, when it comes to that. And if you're listening in and you're a young student and, uh, you know, you have a digital humanities course that is on your schedule or you can take it, please do. And you won't regret it because there's a lot out there that needs done with digital humanities and digital history. And who knows, maybe in a, a year or two, maybe I'll be teaching uh, as an adjunct uh, part-time to to allow you to understand it from my perspective in a more personal setting which would be absolutely amazing but in the future i want us to to think about the ways that we perceive our history through digital media uh you know it's not just the tv anymore it's now all these apps all these social media uh, accounts youtube uh, Hulu, Netflix, all this stuff that is doing a digital 
media, digital humanity thing without us realizing it. How uh, great documentaries coming out on these on these platforms like Netflix. How is that going to influence the history field and our lives in general, whether you're into history or not? How is that going to open up those doors for A, the history field, B, the humanities in general, and C, society in general? I think those are three things that we should think about in the coming week uh, before you hear me again on another podcast. It's something to think about because we're all touched by it now, whether we realize it or not. Digital humanities is influencing us more so now than ever. So what are we going to do with it to allow us to progress forward as a people? I think that's something that, uh, a question that we need to ponder for the next week. But thank you again, Stephanie Steele-Walters, for the honor to sit in front of your class and take all those questions and and talk about my project. Uh, Thank you to George Mason University for having me there. And I hope to do more of these at different universities and colleges and and public schools, private schools. And I hope that I can uh, showcase my educational chops as well in the near future. So thank you all for listening to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. I wanted to give you a nice little recap of what I did at George Mason University last week. And uh, as, as I said, I'm really appreciative of that uh, honor to be, to be sitting in front of the classroom and taking all those questions. Think about the way digital humanities influences you and how it touches you on a day-to-day basis or a week-to-week basis. Uh, think about how you learn from it. Think about how you learn differently from it than you did 15, 20 years ago? And how is society going to move forward as far as understanding preservation efforts, like the ones I just talked about from American Battlefield Trust on the ad at the beginning, or any other effort to bring history alive? That's your homework for next week, my friends. So I hope that you will like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. I hope that you will join me next week for the next installment of the Tattoo Historian Show. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.